But over the next few weeks, we're going to be walking through the early chapters of Matthew in the run up to Christmas. And I was just speaking to Debbie earlier and she just got a, a, a kind of a great approach to the children's books. We want to talk about Jesus quickly in Christmas time before Santa gets talked about so that they think, know that Jesus is the reason why we are here. So this is what we want to do this morning. We want to just dive into these first um, verses um, in Matthew 1. Before I do that, I would like you, if you can, to get out your diary or your phone or your iCal or whatever it might be. So if you can do that, just for me for a moment, I know some of you who don't like being told what to do are thinking, no. But if you can, we would love you to get your diary out just for a moment. So I've got two very important dates for you. The first is this, this coming Wednesday. Who knows, if you're part of Trinity, who knows what happens on the first Wednesday of every month? Yeah! We don't eat anything. And um, we do that because we are going to press into God and seek his kingdom. And I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I've just been so aware over the last few months that you, you can launch a service, which we've done. We've launched a service in central London. But if we are going to see the church grow, if we're going to see the kingdom of God advance, if we're going to see London blessed, we need God and his grace and his Holy Spirit to do a work that we can't do. Therefore, we pray. And fasting is simply a way of underlying our prayers and saying, Lord, we really, really mean this. So we're going to pray and fast. We're going to fast. This is how I'm going to do it. And I'll encourage you to do the same or whatever fits with you. Breakfast, lunch, and then we're going to gather together in our community groups on Wednesday night and then maybe pray, worship and pray for an hour and then eat. Yes. <laughs> the, the, the important thing at the end of the day. So that's the first day. And the second day is this Sunday, the 13th of January. And if you're a student, get back in time for this. If you're on shift work, if you can move your shifts around to be here on Sunday, do it. Because on January the 13th, we are going to be looking ahead for 2019 and what we believe God has in store for us. We've got some new branding and clothes that are going to come out for the kids' work and the welcome team. We've got the, the children's work's going to be launched. We've been doing some work on safeguarding and stuff behind the scenes. And I was going to be sharing what I believe God's calling us into, into 2019. And after church, we're going to have a buffet lunch here. So we're going to serve everyone. So come along, be ready, invite your friend. It's going to be a real high point for us. So January the 13th, be there or be square in a very loving, gracious way and all that. Is that all right? So Matthew chapter one, and I need you to take a deep breath here because on first reading, this comes across as fairly irrelevant to whatever we might be doing tomorrow morning. Um, it's a little bit like reading out the phone directory for four minutes, um, but I promise you there is meaning and truth and life in these verses once we look at it. So bear with me while I try and read a lot of names. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 to 17. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amin, and Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz. Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. Deep breath. 
And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Josem, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Je Jeconiah, and, Je and, and, the, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. Deep breath. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Acham, and Acham the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Matan, and Matan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the de de deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. And all God's people said, Amen. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Caleb. I appreciate it. I worked hard on that. I've been practicing. Yeah, I need to. And uh, we might think, what on earth does that have for us today? And what we've got to understand with the, the, the writers of scriptures, they always wrote very intentionally that this isn't just, sometimes it's called just a biography of Jesus. It is a biography of Jesus, but it's far more than that. Because biographies, they have like a blow-by-blow -blow account. This is what happened in my life. And if that were the case, these wouldn't make good biographies because we get loads of stuff about the beginning and the birth, almost nothing for 30 years. We get quite a bit about three years of ministry. And then sometimes almost half the gospel is given over to the death, the last week of Jesus's life. So Luke, for example, has 24 chapters, and yet he introduces the death of Christ in chapter nine. So if you think that a straight biography, it's not, doesn't quite work because actually the, the gospel writers were saying something about the person of Jesus, and they were saying something theological so that we would get who Christ is. And in these moments, Matthew, unlike any other gospel writer, lays out a huge history of Jesus, and he gives in these first, in chapter 1, verse 1, the book of the genealogy, this is where we get the word Genesis from, the Genesis of Jesus, he gives us this so that we would understand who Jesus is for us today at Christmas 2018. We love origin stories, don't we? Origin, I, I love them, like Batman, Spider-Man, if those ones come out, I, like, I love the stories, and they're the ones who often sell and get big bucks in the cinema, because we love to know, like, why is Batman so grumpy all the time? Well, let me tell you about his childhood trauma and all that happened, and that's why he's like a little bit gloomy. He's, he's had trauma, and you, you get these, like, the origins of someone's life tells you more about who they are today. Have you, have you ever been, like, you've known someone for a little while, and I'm sure this has never happened to you, and they, like, they annoy you somehow. Have you ever that person, just for whatever reason, he's just like, see, so saying, no, no, no. Like, you just, there's just some people, ah, I just feel a bit like something ticks me off about them. And then what happens is you find something out about them in their past and their history or their childhood. And what happens when you get the understanding? You have this sudden flood of understanding and knowledge 
knowledge and therefore love for the person because you realize that is why you are like you are. And suddenly you have this extra grace and warmth and love towards them. And what is happening right now is we are being given the origin story of Christ so that we can understand who he is for us today. And this is my little boy, Micah. Hey, Micah. He's looking for a laptop. Moving into our house was a real bonus because there were toys and Micah found a, a laptop which he's been doing work on for the last few days, which is great. Hopefully he's going to write some sermons for me. I'm not sure. And what we have here in Matthew is Matthew writing a very careful account of the origins of Christ. And if you have read that, he, he clumps the, the, the family tree of Jesus into three clumps. And every single clump, every, all these three clumps are very carefully delineated into 14 generations. And Matthew makes this clear at the very end. He says, so all the generations from Abraham to David, firstly, were 14 generations. And David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. And here's the thing. There were not actually exactly 14 generations between all of these moments. So Matthew is not being tricky or inaccurate or trying to cover up our eyes to say actually something is not. He is making a theological point. He is, he is not being tricky with the truth. He is saying something theological about who Jesus is. And as he recounts these 14s, 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 if you were a Jew hearing this for the first time, immediately you would have been hearing some stuff. Because in the scriptures, numbers are hugely important. And for the Jewish people, as they read the Bible, they would have known there were some important numbers to be listened out for and to understand what God was doing through history. So four, for example, is a big number in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. So in the end of Revelation, we're told that there are the, these four creatures around the throne of God, all of which represent a different animal and one a human being, speaking about the fullness, the extension of all the created animals that live on the face of the earth. Three is a big number in the scriptures, and seven, above all all other numbers is a massive number that speaks about perfection and completion. So in Revelation 5, we're told that Christ is sat on the throne at the center of the heavenly places, the center of the universe, and all of the living beings ascribe these things to Jesus Christ. Re Revelation 5, they're singing this song, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Three attributes that are ascribed to Jesus. And that's not to say, hey, Jesus, you get these three things. Oh, and by the way, we get family, riches, and these kind of things. And they're saying he's giving seven attributes as worthy worship to Jesus because he's saying everything, the completeness of all that we are is worthy to be given to you in praise. Seven represents completeness. And we get another moment at the end of Revelation 1 where it's the, um, John sees these, the seven spirits of God. And if you've read the Bible up to that point in Revelation 1, we know there's, there's one God and there's one Holy Spirit. So you think one Holy Spirit, great for 65 books of the Bible, and then John comes along. And you might get confused. Think, Hang on, now there are seven spirits of God. How does, like, John's like, ta-da, you thought it was one, but it's actually seven, and then we're left kind of reeling and confused. But actually what John is, make, is making a theological point is saying, no, the seven spirits of God represents the completeness of the work of the Holy Spirit in the last days. Seven always represents perfection and completion. So when we start to hear 14s, 
our brain should start working. I mean, I had to go back on my maths. You know, I got B at GCSE, which I was very proud of. And my mum was, because she worked very hard to get me that B. And so I got a B in GCSE. And when I hear 14s, there's two sevens. And then you hear another 14, another two sevens. And then you hear another 14, another two sevens. So you have six sevens that make up this genealogy of Christ. So you have six versions, if you will, of completion. Which sounds great, doesn't it? But it would be even better, wouldn't it, if we had seven sevens. Wouldn't seven seven make a complete number? And you think, actually, if there's going to be complete, it's not just sevens, but it's seven times seven. This is the completion. And what Matthew is saying is that there are these six sevens, and at the very end of this genealogy, we get this God-man coming to live on earth as the final seventh seven. Not just the perfect one, but the complete and perfect one times perfection. He is the completion of the end of the story. Matthew is making a theological point that history has come to its closing full stop. And there is no one else now to come to complete the story of God. And you might think, well, hang on a minute, because Jesus comes along and then there's all these other generations and there's us 2000 years later. So how can Jesus be the completion of human history? But when you read the New Testament, what you find is that the, the, the first disciples never get beyond the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Have you noticed that? So in Acts, what happens is, Acts doesn't move on, say, that Jesus stuff was great, but now let's move on to the next generation. What well, all the Acts does is say, Jesus began this, and now this is what, we are, what he is continuing to do in our generation. And the rest of the New Testament is simply unpacking who Jesus is, what he has done, and how we can follow him in our generation, in our culture, in our day. And so Revelation ends with the future um, a picture of glory that all creation is leading to that we are not yet at one day and what we find at the center of the universe the final full stop of everything that we are moving towards right now is Jesus Christ. He is the ending point. He is the landing. He is the full stop of everything that history is moving towards. We get caught up with politics and Brexit and wars and what's going on right now, but the final full stop of history is the person of Jesus Christ. That is what Matthew is saying right now. Everything is moving towards this point. And so when he is saying Jesus is the seventh seven he's saying it's done now the final the main actor has arrived and we can stop and pause and worship around him and so in Revelation, we see this picture where all the saints are gathered round the throne of Jesus and we're told even that creation not just the saints, but creation. Right now, inanimate objects. We're told that the sea worships Jesus. We're told that the trees clap their branches in celebration around the throne of Jesus. We're told the angelic realm are surrounding Jesus like the solar system surrounds the sun because Jesus is at the center of everything. And then we're told that the seraphim, these fiery angelic beings, we don't quite know what they're like. They're around the throne centering on Christ because he is the final full stop of all of human history. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Which says something about how we live our life now. 
Because we are in a city at the moment that is searching and searching for meaning. Aren't we? There is energy in this city, which is why I love London. There is so much energy here, but the energy is poured into finding meaning and purpose and significance and fulfillment and affirmation from all the things around us, thinking that these are the final point of our life. So people are going from job to job to job, not quite finding satisfaction, thinking that the next job will be the thing where I finally land and I finally get that thing that my soul longs for. And if you're a millennial here, apparently it's like crisis moment because millennials are going three to four years into a job and it's not quite doing what they thought it would do for their soul and then looking for the next thing because they're thinking that the job will do the thing that actually Jesus is meant to do in our souls in giving us peace and rest. Or it's relationships. We're going from relationship to relationship thinking that this friendship, this relationship is going to be the, the person who's going to complete me, fulfill me, do that thing, grant me peace in my soul and rest in, uh, and it doesn't do it. And we're searching and we're looking and we're searching and we're looking and we're trying to find something that can only be found in Jesus Christ. He is the final, um, he's the resting place of our souls. There is no, 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 no one else that we can find resting place. And when we find our resting place in Jesus, we can enjoy everything else more. That's the odd thing about it. I remember when I got into, a, in, into my teenage years, and I was looking, looking back now, I was searching for something. And I tend to be the kind of person, if I get into something, like, I really get into it. And so I came across skating. And uh, Michael's with me on this. When I was a young kid, I got into skating, and I, like rollerblading, proper, like, aggressive inline skating and I wasn't bad amongst my like gang of friends and we used to go skating all over the place all over London in kind of places that mum and dad didn't know quite know where, where I was but I was having a lot of fun and uh, I was pretty good at you know I sold grinds my royales my backside royales they were they were pretty they were pretty stylish I gotta say if you need to know more talk to Michael because he's much better than me and still skates anyway I loved but, but I remember thinking I remember these pair of skates these K2 fatties and I was sitting on the train and uh, I was like I've got to buy these K2 fatties because these are the skates on which I'm going to make it and I was like 12 years old or something like I didn't quite know what make it meant but I knew I was looking for some sense of like I want to I want affirmation I want I want to be known I want to be affirmed and approved of and I thought skating was going to be it and then I broke my leg which was a bit of a pain if you want to skate and at the same time I got met some friends who were into music and so I, for my paper round that I did on my skates I bought a pair of DJ decks Technics if you know Technics and I like so I spent pretty much everything I have because I thought no 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 I'm going to be a DJ that's what it is so I'm going to be a DJ I'm going to get my affirmation I was searching for some sense of approval amongst my peers and I, I quite quickly realized that I, I haven't really got an ear for music and I wasn't a very good DJ and so that began to wane after a while and I, I, I remember picking up this um big textbook basically it's not a textbook it's just a picture of Arnold Schwarzenegger the Austrian oak and I saw this guy six foot five looking amazing and thinking I'd quite like to be a six foot five Austrian <laughs> bodybuilder clearly it didn't quite work out for me but at that stage I was like yes that because I thought if I've got muscles and strength and if I could look just something like Arnold Schwarzenegger then I will get, I, there will be something in me I'll find some sense of approval or meaning or affirmation 
situation, I will feel something in my heart. And I, all the time I was searching for this thing until a Baptist pastor one day challenged me. He said, you should read the Bible for yourself. And we began to go on this journey. and says, let me tell you about Jesus and what happened for all this striving through my teenage years, looking for that thing that would fill my heart. I suddenly found Jesus. And as I met in Jesus, as I read the New Testament, suddenly all of this striving and this looking over the corner for the next the green grass somewhere else just began to drift away and I began to find my soul resting in Christ and I found peace in him and now I can look at things and say I'd love that but if I don't have it it's okay because I've got Jesus if God calls us on from this new amazing home one day which he will do that's okay we can leave that because we're at rest in Jesus. We've got Christ and he brings the peace that is the final full stop of our soul. Augustine, who was an African bishop, he said this in his confessions and if you were around today, you would, he probably would have been diagnosed as a sex addict when you read his biography. Like, literally, because he had a woman in every city, in, in every corner, uh, and, and he was searching. But he says this in his confessions, his spiritual journey. He says, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. And that's where we need to get to. And I don't know where you're at this morning and how you feel about your life, about what's going on, about another job or a relationship, whatever. But let me implore us as Trinity Church to find our hearts rest in Jesus. And from that place, we can be free to live for him and enjoy the good blessings. And if you're not a Christian here today, and if you are still striving and looking around the corner for the next thing, let me just ask you, invite you to look at the life of Jesus. Because as you meet Jesus, you can find the rest that your soul is desperately craving because he made you. He knows you. He is the one whom we will finally one day worship around his throne. And if you can find that centering now, you can live the rest of your life enjoying all the goodness that is around us, not having to strive for it. Amen. And he goes on because... This isn't really the end. I mean, some of you skeptics might feel like, hey, that whole numbers thing was like interesting, but I'm not convinced. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so two sevens to go into 14, and there are three 14s, like yada, yada, yada. But re like, really, Jesus is a seven, seven. Isn't that like nice preachers, hyperbole? Let me just tell you another theme of scripture that Matthew is picking up on right now, and it's this theme of Jubilee. And in the Old Testament, what would happen, which is still happening today, we've got these wealth inequalities that are growing and growing and growing. In God, in the, the time of Israel, the same things were happening. And so the poor were often getting poorer and the rich were getting richer. And without any social um, welfare, what was happening is that if you were destitute, you were really destitute. And if you were wealthy, you could just accumulate more and more wealth. And so what God instituted was this year of Jubilee. And let me just read from Leviticus these words about what God instituted on the seventh year and on the seven times seventh year. When you come into the land that I give you, God says, the land shall, you sh the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years you shall sow your seed, and for six you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land. So we're talking about land, like this is farming, literally. Let the land rest. And in that year, the seventh year, you are to rest and enjoy the labor of your hands and be together. Let the land rest. And he says, 
says, you shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest or gather the grapes of the undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. The Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you, for yourself and for your male and female servants and for your hired worker and the sojourner who lives with you. So those who aren't part of the Jewish community, there to be welcomed in and your cattle and your wild animals that are in the land, all its yield shall be for food. So that's seven years. And then the, God goes on and says, you shall count, count seven weeks of years or seven times seven years so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. Maths GCSE. Yes, okay. Then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the 10th day of the seventh month on the day of atonement. You shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land and you shall consecrate the 50th year and you shall proclaim liberty throughout all the land to its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. And when the 50th year shall be jubilee for you, in it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows itself nor gather the grapes from the undressed vines for it is jubilee. shall be holy to you and what God goes on to say in that in in those um, chapters in in Leviticus 25 is that there shall be restitution not just of the land but for those who are slaves they were to be redeemed you may go free and find a new footing in society those who had accumulated property they were to give it back to whom they had bought it so in the year of jubilee in the seven times seven years there shall be an equality given and rest given to the land so that everyone might find redemption and dignity before the eyes of the Lord and in the eyes of the community and so what is Matthew saying when he says that Jesus is the seventh seventh he is saying theologically that as Jesus comes he is the one that comes and enacts the final jubilee the final resting place that God had always meant for the land and the community it finally finds its ultimate meeting place in the person of Jesus Christ And so when Jesus comes along and he starts his ministry, we're told in Luke 4 that Jesus comes into the Sabbath one day, uh, into the synagogue on one Sabbath, and he's given the scroll to teach from. And he opens the scroll and he reads from Isaiah 61, where Isaiah prophesies about the the year of Jubilee. And we're not sure in in, in God's people's history whether they actually fulfilled this year of Jubilee or not. But Jesus comes along... And he comes back to Nazareth and he walks into to the synagogue on the Sabbath and he reads these words. And you've got to imagine at this point, Jesus is 30 years old. He's had an interesting origin story, much debated. And he comes back to town. He's a, he's a homegrown boy coming back to Nazareth. And some people think he's an illegitimate child. Some people think he's not deserving of being included because of his uh, status of not knowing who his father was. And he comes back into the synagogue and he's given the scrolls because he's getting a reputation of being a teacher of the law. And he reads these words. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor which is the year of Jubilee, that 49th, the 7th, 7th. And Jesus reads these words. He says, I've come to proclaim 
the seventh seventh, the year of the Lord's favor, the year of restitution, the year of redemption, the way that, where dignity is restored to people. And we're told that he rolls up the scroll again and he sits down. And you can imagine, you would have heard a pinprick at, the, pinprick at this moment. Like, what is Jesus going to say? And he says, in your hearing, these words have been fulfilled. In your hearing right now, what does he mean? He is saying that in your hearing right now has been fulfilled because I've arrived. The one who is to fulfill these words is here. They were outraged. The blasphemy of saying you would be the one to inaugurate the final jubilee where everyone can find resting place and liberty for their souls. And yet he walks out from that place and Jesus becomes a living, walking, talking, miracle working year of jubilee for those around him. So that everyone who comes into contact with Jesus is restored and has dignity given to their souls. Sins are forgiven. Liberty is proclaimed. Uh, redemption is given to their souls. Equality in the eyes of God is given to them so that those who are outsiders at one point may be brought to the inside and adopted into God's family and might enjoy a status with God where they are equal not only with those of Israel but with Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God. He is a living, breathing, walking, talking, miracle-working jubilee that we can now enjoy. That is what he's saying in these verses. So that even as we gather around him today, you will know sometimes it is sense in your heart of like joy being restored again and kind of dignity being restored and some sense of shame being washed away because you see Jesus again and as you see Jesus you are receiving that jubilee power you're receiving the seventh seventh and the 49th complete work of God in your life of washing away all that is wrong and restoring all that is good in your life that's what Matthew's saying in this genealogy that we have and as Jesus walks and talks and does his miracles, the interesting thing is that he invites lots of people who are outsiders onto the inside. Have you noticed that? It's one of the most amazing things that Jesus does. See, all these people who are outside of God's people, the Jewish people say, no, no, we, they are unclean. They cannot be included. Actually, when Jesus walks and talks around the, the Middle East, there, he is including people and granting people jubilee who others would think they are undeserving. And we read this in the very family tree of Jesus. Because this family tree to the Jew, first Jewish ears was outrageous. And because, I mean, even later on in antiquities, there would be rulers of great nations and empires who were embarrassed sometimes about their genealogy. And there are some great rulers who would literally burn some of their family history because it did not honor them as who they were now. Because a family history, like today, it's like, yeah, we're curious, we're interested. Oh, I've got Scandinavian blood. Oh, I've got African blood. That's interesting. It's kind of curious for us to know now. But for the guys in this, this day and age, this was like their honor. This was, this was their CV before the world. And so it, it meant that, why, you know, if, if, you, if your name is Shane, then actually you're, you're shaming the whole family because that's our family tree that you're mucking with now. That's, that's our honor that you're messing with. And so the family tree was hugely important because it was like your status amongst the people, which is why people would offer doctor their family trees to say, actually, look, it's quite good. And you kind of puff yourself up. 
And yet, what does Matthew do deliberately in this? If he's willing to add 14, 14, 14, he would be very willing to say, actually, let's cut those lives out that really don't add to the, to the Jesus story. Because you think, if you're going to start a religion, and this is one of the criticisms of Christianity, think, actually, when, when the first writers were writing the Gospels, they were just concocting a story. Jesus might have been a good guy like Mahatma Gandhi, like he was a really loving guy, and it, it was an unfortunate event at the end of his life. They didn't understand him. They crucified him. But then there's some followers came along after and says, let's create a movement. You know, we want some notoriety. We want to kind of get some status. Let's build Build some stories around this Jesus, like some miracles, resurrection, that'd be a good one. Let's tap into resurrection. That'll really get people fired up. That'll get a movement going. We could be at the head of this movement. I mean, that's a criticism that's still laid at the feet of Christianity, saying like people just made up the stories around Jesus to, to big him up. But when you actually read the stories around, they didn't, if that were the case, they did not do a good job. And actually, it seems that Matthew deliberately puts in people into the family tree of Christ that would do the exact opposite because it says why Jesus came. So let me just tell you a few of the people, and I can't do the whole thing. I, I promise I won't do the whole thing. Abraham, he was once a pagan who worshipped small little figurines who did not believe in the God of Israel, who God met. And even after God met, Abraham was quite willing to pass his wife off as his half-sister so that he wouldn't be killed. You just, just imagine that if you're a husband for a moment. Say, like, darling, like, just for a moment, could you pretend to be my sister? Like, you may get taken away. I don't know what's going to happen to you, but I'm really not feeling like today's the day to die for me. Like, this is not an honourable moment. And, this, and he does, doesn't just do this once and gets chastised. He does it twice. Yeah. And Matthew says, no, this is the founding father of the family tree of Jesus. This is where Jesus, our God, comes from. It doesn't get much better, to be honest. You get Jacob who comes along. Like, he is known as being deceitful and tricky and lying. He becomes the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. If you're thinking like a CV for a spiritual like guru, someone, who, who is going to be a spiritual father to not just one nation, but 12 nations through whom the God is going to come? You think you're not going to pick the lying, deceitful, tricky one who's continually manipulating their way through their life and career. And yet Matthew says, no, this, this Jacob is part of God's family tree. And here's, here's an outrageous thing. For us, it sounds very like neutral. But in, the, in this family tree, Matthew adds five women to this family tree. Which in, in, in Jesus' day and age, it was the men who came, they were the heads of the family and they represented who the family were. Women weren't added into the genealogies, and yet Matthew bucks the trend culturally, and he does something radical, and he adds in five women into this family tree. So not only saying that the men you included, no, there is equal status for men and women in the family of God. If you're a gender outsider, you are included into Jesus' family. And not only women, but the... I mean, these weren't like Mother Teresa, if you get what I mean. Like, some of these women were not like pinups of godly women, like, hey, young women, like, this is the kind of woman you want to aspire to be like. They, they weren't role models. So the first one we get in, in here is um, Tamar. She's involved in some of the most sordid moments in the Bible. She's involved in family incest, and then she practices prostitution to protect herself and to get her way around Jacob at one point. This is, this is not like, hey girls, this is someone you really want to be like. She was deeply involved in sexual depravity. 
and yet Matthew chooses to include her in Jesus' family tree. This, who, this is who God includes in the jubilee of Jesus. Anyone and everyone, whether you be a, a, a sinner, a, a gender outsider, whoever it might be, you can be included into the family. And it goes on and on. I mean, we have Ruth, for example, one of the other women. And she, she's, she's not even a Jew. And so in this day and age, it would have been so important to verify your Jewish heritage. So what does Paul say in Philippians 3? When he's saying, this is my credentials as a Jew, he goes back and he lists. He says, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. Like, this is who my lineage is. This is my family. You must respect me because it wasn't just, are you a Jew? It's like, which tribe? Not just which tribe, which family are you from? Because each and which gets more and more and more prestigious. And Paul says, I have come from the most prestigious family tree. And yet included in in Jesus' family tree is Ruth, who is not even a Jew, not even like an unprestigious family amongst the Jews. She's not even a Jew, and more than that, she is a Moabite who the Jews at this point hated. They were at war sometimes with the Moabites, and Matthew says, God even includes those whom were enemies at one point. Ruth is in the story, and we just go through. I mean, King David, a man after God's own heart, yes, but he was an adulterer, he was a murderer, he was a liar, and yet he's one of the founding fathers of whom we are today as Trinity Church London. And then his son gets even worse, Solomon. I was just thinking yesterday, I was thinking, Tori, can I say this? And he said, no, I guess so, it's true. He was his, the Hugh Hefner of his day. He was, he was, he was sexually depraved. Like, it, The Me Too movement would have been at Solomon's door. Like he treated women appallingly. And yet he is one of the founding fathers of God's community. You get the point. You get what I'm going at. We could do this again and again and again. Only to say this. If you feel like you're an outsider in God's family right now, you are probably the best candidate to be the insider. And I don't know whether you're a Christian or not here today, but you need to know that you can be included. Not because you're more moral, not because, hey, I could make it at church every Sunday, not because I could could pray. That is not what qualifies you. The only thing that qualifies you is that you can come around Jesus Christ and receive this jubilee of forgiveness and grace and find your final resting place in Jesus. Amen? And I know for us, because I've had some feedback and I've, I've just picked it up over the last few while, we're in a stage as a church plant where we've kind, of, we've kind of launched. If you get what I mean? Like, we've done the launching bit. We've done the hard work. We've got the PA. We've got the venue. We've got, the, we've got all the gear. We're up and running as a service. And we are now moving into a period of time where we are getting on with the hard work of actually planting a community in central London. And who knows that this is hard work? Yeah? Any any hands up? Who knows? You're like, gosh, these rotors don't end. Like, there's always another rotor. There's always work to be done. And I know for us, because we're the city centre and we're disparate, we're we're set apart, some of us are feeling a little bit like, ah, you know, where's my place in the family? We're kind of going through that stage of a church plan that always 
always happens in church plans. Okay, now, we've, we've started, we've launched, and now where's my place? Where do I fit? And you need to know that every single person, whether you feel morally you're part of this, or geographically you're part of this, or whether you feel emotionally or relationally part of this, as you come to Christ and are called by Him into this family of Trinity Church London, you have a place of equality and dignity and purpose and meaning and mission around the throne of Christ as we are on mission. We have this, and there is no doubt we need to work on it. Like, who, where do we plug in? How do we, where's our ministry? How are we going to serve? How are we going to do community? But in Jesus Christ, every single one of us needs to go away from this place knowing I am at the center of God's family. Yeah? This is what we have, and this is what Jesus went to die for. Because in, in, the, in, the, in Israel, they would just lay the land fallow. But Jesus Christ, he comes, and his death and his resurrection, which we're going to celebrate in just a moment around the Lord's Supper, Jesus Christ died so that you might receive this jubilee. He might take all of your sense of sin and shame, and he might give you life. And I'm praying that as we just gather around the table in just a moment, we all might receive an impartation of the knowledge that we are part of God's family. Because I know even in myself, there are moments you think, gosh, God, like, are you moving on without me? Like, am I behind? Am I on the outside? We all have vulnerable moments that God says, you are part of my family. Whatever you have done, even this week, whatever you've done last night is irrelevant if you come to the cross of Christ and receive his jubilee. Amen? Can I pray for us? Thank you so much for listening. Father God, I want to say thank you for sending Jesus Christ to us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for dying. Thank you, Lord, for being our seventh seven. Lord, the completion of our souls. Lord, and I pray for us right now. Lord, as Steve's about to lead us into the Lord's Supper, I pray for us that you might minister to our souls and we might all leave this place knowing we have come to a resting place in you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Jubilee, Lord, would you unleash a jubilee in our hearts and our lives and across this church, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.